Good evening. I invite your attention to the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Find Ruth, chapter 3, and put your finger in the place, and then go back to chapter 1, and I'm going to lead us up to what we're going to consider in chapter 3. We are blessed to be here with you folks tonight, and I have... Uh, known the name Chuck Kabbalah for quite a few years and then received the book he wrote on the timetable of the crucifixion. Was was greatly blessed by it. And then received a correspondence from Dennis Shanahan, whom I had never heard of, and here we are tonight. So, you know, the providence of God has worked rather marvelously, and we are so blessed to be here tonight and to meet you folks and to be here with you and to worship with you and hopefully to talk about Jesus Christ. And it came to pass, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled. So Moses is gone, Joshua is gone, and... This was a day when there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so the people end up in trouble from time to time. And so the Lord raises up judges one after another. And during the day, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn. He was going to stay for just a short time. Did not end up that way. But he went to sojourn. Spend a short time in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Ephrathites of the tribe of Ephraim. Residing in Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left a widow and her two sons. Now, the two sons, they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died, so the woman survived and her two sons and her husband. There's a rather interesting way of considering this passage. Every name means something. Bethlehem means house of bread. Judah means praised. Well, when there is bread in the house of bread, Let God be praised. This man's name was Elimelech. His name means God is king. His wife's name, Naomi, means pleasant. And their two sons evidently were not in the best of health. Their names meant sickly and puny. Well, it just so happens that uh, there is no longer bread in the house of bread. 
And so they go down to the land of Moab. Moab is a land that began with incest. And they are there. And he whose God is king dies, leaves his wife a widow. And the two sickly and puny sons die, but not before each of them has married a wife. The the name of one wife was Orpah. We do not know what her name means. It's immaterial. Uh, She's going to pass off the scene here in a few minutes, and you're not going to read of her again. The other was Ruth. The name evidently means friend, and what a friend she was. And so, word comes that bread is back in the house of bread in Bethlehem. And so, Ruth says, I'm going, pardon me, Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. And her two daughters-in-law, who are now like her, widows, they say, we're going to go back with you. They went to the border of the land, and, and uh, Naomi said to the two daughters-in-law, go back. Go back to your families, go back to your gods, go back to your homelands. And the scripture says, Orpah lifted her voice and wept and went off and into oblivion. Ruth said, no, I'm not leaving. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will die. Where you are buried, I will be buried. And the Lord do so and more to me if... Anything but death separate us. And so, having seen Ruth's resolve, Naomi goes back to Bethlehem. It is barley harvest. That is the first grain to be harvested. And they go back to the land and they're in poverty. And they are both widows. Evidently, Elimelech had some property at one time, but it now belongs to someone else. And um, should have been passed on to his sons, it belongs to someone else. But it's barley harvest. So, Ruth goes to glean in the fields. She's a gleaner, not a reaper. There were two people, two sorts of people went into the fields at the time of harvest. First were the reapers. The reapers would be comprised of the young men with their sickles and their scythes, and they would be cutting down the grain. Then behind them, the women would make a line across the field, and they go down the field, and they're picking up the grain into their arms. They take it and put it in the shocks or in the stacks across the field and then they make their sweep through the field if they look back and say ah I missed some too bad you cannot go back and get it you cannot go into the fields and cut the grain in in, in the corners of the field because the Lord had a welfare program that took care of the poor of the land and they were called the gleaners so the reapers have gone through the field they have picked up the grain And then you turn the field over to the gleaners. The gleaners come in. They get that one over yonder, this straw. They go into the corners. They can cut the corners. They can get everything that is left in the field. When the gleaners have gone through the field, the field is bare. 
Ruth comes home and she has her apron and it is full of barley. And she comes home and, and Naomi says, well, where did you get all of this? Well, uh, I was in the field of a man by the name of Boaz. And Naomi says, Boaz. His name means fleet of foot. He evidently was a fast man. And he did prove to be true to his name. But um, Naomi said, all right, he is related to us. He is a kinsman. Now, I'm going to tell you what to do. And he is the kinsman. He will know what his responsibility is. So let me tell you about the kinsman because tonight I want to preach on the subject of the kinsman redeemer. It is the well-known Hebrew name Gael. He's a kinsman. A kinsman would be a brother, uh, an uncle, a cousin, your father. It was someone related to you, kin to you. He was to be a redeemer in four different instances. First would be if, uh, if a man has, um, if his innocent blood has been shed, if someone has committed manslaughter, not murder, but manslaughter, uh, the blood has to be avenged and the kinsman was obligated to go get the man unless he can make it to the city of refuge first and to avenge the blood of his relative. Second, there was the redemption of one from bondage, meaning that if a man has had to sell himself into bondage, he's run into some difficult times, it was the duty of the kinsman, the brother, the other relative, to, to purchase the freedom of this one and set him free. Then there was the redemption of one's property, meaning that if a man has fallen into difficult times and had to sell his property, his kinsman was obligated to purchase the property and restore it to his relative. And then the fourth was the redemption of a relative's name. If a man has married a wife and he dies before a male son has been born of that marriage, to carry on the, the line, then his brother was obligated to marry the widow. And if a son was blessed to that marriage, that son was to receive the inheritance of his departed father. All right. So Naomi says, Boaz is a kinsman. Now, Elimelech had property, but now belonged to somebody else. Should have been passed on to Malan and or Kilion. It is now going to someone else. They are both dead. And here is Naomi. And here is also Ruth. And they, neither of them has a male child. So a kinsman is obligated to purchase that property that would have been passed on through Elimelech. And he's obligated, the kinsman is obligated to marry the widow, Ruth. If the Lord blesses it with a male child, and he did, then that male child is to receive what should have been his inheritance through Elimelech and, and his son. So, 
This is all clicking in the mind of Naomi. And she says, let me tell you what to do. So now come to chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, note the affection. How blessed, uh, how blessed when a, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law speak of each other as mother and daughter. These did. My daughter, shall I not seek rest or security for you, that it may be well with you, that you may come out of your widowhood? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our kinsman? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So, it's barley harvest. They're out in the fields. They're going to work all day long. The barley is going to be heaped up on the threshing floor. They're not going to go home for the night. It's too far back to the village. They're going to stay there. They're going to sleep on the barley. She says, Naomi says now to Ruth, wash yourself. Bathe and anoint yourself. Make yourself smell good. Put on your best garment. Go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Let him have his meal. Let him have his supper. Then he's going to lie down and he's going to rest there on the harvest, on the harvest floor. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down right there at his feet. And uh, he'll tell you what you should do because he will know. So Ruth said to Naomi, all that you say to me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, having bathed and anointed herself, and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. I should add that in chapter 2, Boaz had become quite familiar with this young girl named Ruth. He had seen her gleaning in his fields. He knew who she was. He had said to his young men, your hands are off of her. No one touches her. I know who she is. She is a virtuous woman. He even told his reapers, if you look and you see you see Ruth coming up behind you gleaning, take some grain and throw it down when she's not looking. Boaz knew who this woman was. And now Ruth is finding out who Boaz is in his relationship to her. So go down to the threshing floor. He'll tell you what to do. So, verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And Ruth came softly after he was asleep, uncovered his feet, and lay down with her head at his feet. Now, it happened at midnight that the man was startled. I mean, hey, there's a woman lying at his feet. And he turned himself and, and lo and behold, there she was, a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Cover your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a near kinsman. You are my 
kinsman. He knew what it meant. Boaz, his fleet of foot, he immediately, the next day, went and did what he should do. He went and did the duty of the kinsman, did the duty of redeeming, of, of redeeming her, and got the, got the property that should have passed on to her. And lo and behold, if you'll go to the end of this book, you'll find out that uh, Ruth and Boaz become parents to Obed and then to Jesse and then to David the king and then Ruth becomes a mother to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. She's in his family tree, one of his foremothers. And so this is, the, this is the subject of redemption. This is the subject of a kinsman redeemer. It is beautifully set forth unto us here in this book of Ruth. Tonight I want to consider that subject of Jesus Christ, my kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ is a Boaz unto his people. Ruth is, is typical of the church of Jesus Christ. Boaz is typical of Christ. And I'd like to tell you tonight how I came to learn of Jesus Christ, my kinsman, Redeemer. 1975, I found myself in a most peculiar situation. For the first time in my life, I was under arrest. And the arresting officer was none other than the Holy Spirit of God. And I was arrested, taken to a court at a dreadful place called Sinai. I there stood before the judge of heaven and earth. What be the charge against this man? And the arresting officer, the Holy Spirit said, he's a sinner. Then take him away. The soul that sins shall die. Uh, Your Honor, I'm not sure you know who I am. I'm a preacher. I know who you are. You're a sinner. Take him away. Your Honor, I desire to approach the bench. Well, you approach this bench, you'll be consumed. Your God is a consuming fire. You're guilty. Your Honor, I appeal the decision. There is no appeal in my court. It's strict justice here. Take him away, take him away. And taken away I was to a far-off state called conviction. And there I was placed in a prison called despair. And there in the prison of despair I was delivered into the care of a jailer whose name was Justice and he was a hard and austere man. Justice? I desire to be released from your prison. <laughs> Don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to be released. How may I be released? One way. One way only. Tell me what it is. I'll do it. You have to satisfy justice. Okay. What does it take to satisfy justice? Your death. When you die, justice is satisfied. Justice is satisfied in nothing less than your death. 
the soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. I knew that there was no hope for me. I'm not getting out alive. In order to satisfy justice, I have to die. It was a dreadful place. It was dark. It was dismal. That prison of despair and that far-off state conviction. I recall hearing groans and wondered what it was. I asked Justice, what is this? I, 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 I hear groaning and Justice said, watch. And he opened a door and I heard someone in anguish, Father Abraham, I am in torment in this flame. I am in torment in this flame. And Justice said, that's where you're headed. That's where you're headed. There's no hope for you. Justice must be satisfied. The only way I can satisfy justice is to die. I heard a noise above me and I asked Justice, what is this noise above me? And Justice said, that's the wrath of God. It abides upon you. It's being prepared for you right now. The day of your execution is coming very close. And there I was, in my chains, sin and shame, in a dark and dismal place, a prison of despair and a far-off state of conviction with no hope. One day, the door to the prison opened and a shaft of light pierced that darkness and I heard a footstep, not at all like the footstep of justice. He had a hard boot. This was a soft footstep, and justice said, Who comes? And I heard a voice that was sweet and melodious, and the, mo the voice said, My name is Mercy. Well, Mercy, what brings you to this God-forsaken place? And Mercy said, Do you have one here by the name of Moose Parks? Yes, I do. He's condemned. And Mercy said, I have come to seek his release and to obtain his release. And I was ready to go. I was ready to go as soon as I heard, Mercy, did you say you have come from me that I may be released? Yes, I'm ready to go. And I'm saying to Justice, let me go. You heard what Mercy said. And Justice said, wait a minute. Did you not hear what I said? No one leaves this prison until justice is satisfied. And it takes the death of the sinner to satisfy justice. And Mercy said, well, he has a kinsman. A kinsman by the name of Jesus Christ has come to, sit, to obtain the redemption of most parks. And again, I'm ready to go, but justice again reminded me that even Jesus Christ, very God of very God, must satisfy justice if a sinner is to be released. What does it take to satisfy your justice? Well, it's Jesus Christ. He is very God of very God. And no one can redeem you unless he is your relative. He must be a kinsman. I must have proof that the very God of very God is the brother or, or the kinsman of, of most parks. 
And I looked at Mercy and I said, Mercy, tell me, is Jesus Christ, very God of very God, is he my kinsman? Is he related to me? And Mercy said, he is. He became my kinsman. He was born of a woman, just like I was. Took on my humanity in his incarnation. He was born of a woman, just like I was. He was born under the law, just like I was. He was he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, a man just like me. And then Mercy said, but even more than that, it behooved him in all things to be made like unto his brethren. Mercy, are you saying that Jesus Christ has become my brother? That's right. He's as close a kinsman as he can be. He is your brother. Justice, did you hear this? He is my kinsman. Are you satisfied? Justice said, yes, mercy has spoken the truth. Jesus Christ is your brother. Well, then turn me loose. Turn me loose. And Justice said, no, not yet. What do you mean? You just said you're satisfied. Well, I'm satisfied on that, but... There's another qualification that Jesus Christ blessed me if you are to be released in my prison. It is not enough that he be a kinsman, not enough that he be even a brother. He must also be a free man. What's that got to do with it? Well, one slave cannot purchase the freedom of another slave. It takes a free man. It takes one who has never sinned. It takes one who is sinless and spotless to obtained the redemption of a sinner from the prison of justice. And I looked at mercy and said, tell me, is Jesus Christ a free man? Is he, is he free from bondage? Is he without sin and blame before God and the law? And mercy said, he is. He is just and he is sinless. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. He did no sin. He had no sin. He knew no sin. In him there is no sin. There was not even guile in his mouth when he spoke. He's sinless. He's spotless. He's undefiled. He is separate from sinners. He is a free man. Even his judge said, I find no fault in this man. Heard all the evidence that was brought against him by his enemies. Weighed all the evidence there in the balance and the judge of Jesus Christ at the final trial said, I found no fault in this man. No one found fault with him. Yes, he's a free man. Are you satisfied, Justice? He's free. He's sinless. He's pure. He's harmless. He's righteous. He's holy. He's undefiled. I'm satisfied, Justice said. And I rattled my chains and I said, Terminus! And Justice said, not yet. What do you mean, not yet? You said, you said he had to be a kinsman. Well, he's my brother. You said he had to be a free man. He's a, he's a free man. What else could you ask for? Well, uh, he must be able to redeem you. He must have the power to do so. All right, Mercy, tell me. Does Jesus Christ have the power to redeem me? Is he able to do so? And mercy said he is. He is able to save them to the other most that come unto God by him. He takes those that are the guttermost. He saves them to the uttermost. 
He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Mercy, tell me about this power of Jesus Christ. Oh, He is able to do all that we ask. No, He's able to do all that we ask or think. No, He can do more than that. He's able to do all that we ask or think. No, He can do more than that. He can do above all that we ask or think. Oh, He can do more than that. He can do abundantly above all that we ask or think. No, He can do more than that. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. That's how much power Jesus Christ has when it comes to redemption. Well, Justice, tell me, you satisfied? Has He got enough power to redeem me? He sure enough does. And I rattled my chains and I said, Then turn me loose! And Justice said, Not yet. What do you mean, not yet? He said he had to be a kinsman. He's my brother. He's got to be a free man. No sin. He's got to have the ability to redeem me. And you admitted he does. Now what else could you ask for? Well, he must... He must be willing to redeem you. Now, it's one thing to have the power to do so. It is one thing to be able to do so. (laughs) But tell me, is he willing to do so? Tell me, Mercy. Is Jesus Christ willing to redeem me? Oh, yes, he is. He loved you and gave himself for you. He said... My Father loves me because I lay down my life. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself and for the sake of most parks, though he deserves it not. I'm willing to lay down my life for him. I will be his redeemer. Not only do I have the power to do so, I'm willing to do so. I'm willing to do so. I will do this of my own will. I will not be forced to do it. I willingly will be not only the kinsman, but also the the redeemer of most parks. And I said, Justice, you satisfied? Yep, I'm satisfied. And I raised my hands and rattled my chains. And I said, turn me loose, turn me loose. And Justice said, "Uh, not yet. Okay, Justice. You got a whole bag full of qualifications over there. You're going to just keep pulling out a qualification after qualification after qualification. You've asked for this qualification. Jesus met it. That one, the third one, and the fourth one. What else can you ask for? And Justice said, One more. Only one more. Yes, he's her kinsman. Yes, he's a free man. Yes, He's willing to redeem you, are able, and yes, He is willing to redeem you. But one more. He must have the price of your redemption. I mean, if He's, if he's able to do so and willing to do so, that is worthless unless, unless He can pay the bill. Well, what does it cost to have me redeemed? Justice said, I'll tell you this. They that trust in their wealth 
and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. What are you saying, Justice? <laughs> telling you this, the price of your redemption is greater than all the gold and silver, all the wealth <coughs> of this entire earth. It's worth more than everything that this world is worth. Well, mercy. I have no idea what could be more valuable than all the wealth of this world, but this is the last qualification. And if Jesus can meet this qualification, I'm free. I'm free. Tell me. Can Jesus Christ pay the price of my redemption that is of greater value than all the wealth of this world? And mercy said, yes, he can pay it. He has paid it. How did he do it? Mercy said, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Well, my heart sank. I'm doomed and damned and there's no hope for me now. Justice requires something more valuable than all the wealth of this world and, and all that is brought is blood. And if Gold and silver will not redeem me. How in the world can blood redeem me? It cannot be. And I raised my hands this time in frustration. Mercy. Justice wants something more than gold and silver and you bring blood. You bring blood. And then it dawned on me that um, the chains are gone. The chains are gone from my wrists and, and my feet are no longer in the stocks. And the cell to my door is opening and justice is smiling at me. What's going on now? What's going on now? And justice said, I told you, you will not leave my prison until justice is satisfied. And the only way that justice can be satisfied is in your death and in the blood of Jesus Christ, your substitute, you have died. Justice is satisfied. Jesus Christ with his own blood shed in your place instead has satisfied justice. You're free, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Mercy took me down that dark hallway just to step aside and said, I'm satisfied through Jesus Christ. You may leave my prison. I stepped outside that prison out of that dark and dismal place. Mercy opened the door. I stepped into the light and as my eyes became accustomed to what I saw, I saw something I thought I had seen it many times before, but this time I really saw it with the eye of faith. How that up Calvary's mountain one dreadful morn walked Christ my kinsman weary and worn. And there he died for me. 
In evil long I took delight, annoyed by shame and fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as neath his cross I stood. Ah, never till my latest breath shall I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. And my conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw his blood. My sins had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did. But now my tears are vain. Where shall my guilty soul be hid? For I the Lord have slain through my sins, through my iniquities. And then he spoke, Come ye sinner, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity joined with power. For the first time in my life, all religious I had been, but for the first time ever now, I'm thirsting for this. And he says, come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty glorify. Full belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. I would come, but I'm weary in my sin. Well, come ye weary. Heavy laden, lost and mangled by the fall. For if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. And I went, I went, I went to the feet of Jesus. Fell prostrate there at his feet. And he said, who are you? I am Moose Parks, your servant. Cover me, thou art a near kinsman. And cover me, he did. His robe of righteousness has become my righteousness. His garments have become the garments of my salvation. And all because a kinsman redeemed me. God himself became my kinsman and redeemed me. There is a song I love to sing since I have been redeemed of Jesus Christ, my Lord and King, since I have been redeemed. And that, my friend, is the story of how I came to find Jesus Christ to be my kinsman, Redeemer. And I pray that he's yours. Pastor.